If you have your Bibles today, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, welcome to the 19th and final week of our Names of God series, where we have walked through names of God throughout the Old Testament, New Testament as well. This series, of course, has been so incredibly beneficial for me and in my life, and I pray the same for your life as well. And during the Christmas season, we have focused, of course, on the names and descriptors of Jesus because that just makes sense. And uh, look on just, just ways in which his person and his work is shown throughout these names and descriptors. And just think about this. Over the past 2,000 years, more people on the planet Earth have known the name of Jesus more than any other name. By one estimate, since A.D. 33, over 8 billion people have claimed to be followers of Jesus. Billions more have heard his name. Today, the name of Jesus can be found in over 6,000 languages, and more are being added every single year. And what we know is that Jesus was born into a culture where names equaled hopes Names equaled expectations, and God deliberately placed more than 100 names or descriptors in the Bible that tell us who Jesus is. They allow us to know him more fully. And I want to begin this morning kind of a different way than maybe we normally begin. I want us to take a few minutes, or depending on how you participate, maybe a few seconds, for us to think through. So think through some of the names or descriptors of Jesus that are found in the Old Testament and New Testament all throughout the Word. So if you can think of a name or descriptor of Jesus from the Bible, just shout it out. So Savior, Shepherd, Lord, Counselor, Alpha Healer, God, there we go. Immovable rock, Yahweh, cornerstone, foundation, lion of Judah, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God, Emmanuel, son of man, everlasting friend. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Looking at this picture, think about this. Names have, have power. And the names of Jesus remind us who he is. They remind us of what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. And the names of Jesus, the descriptors of Jesus, remind us how we must respond to him. So think about this. The names of Jesus remind us how we respond to him. Meaning, if Jesus is the door, then we must enter into eternal life only through him. If Jesus is the rabbi, if he's the teacher, then we are his students and we must learn from him. We must sit at his feet. If Jesus is the bread of life, then we must, as Jesus said in John 6, kind of weird, but we must eat of him. We must have faith in him. He is our sustenance. He is our strength. If Jesus is the true vine, then we must stay connected to him. Because as Jesus said, apart from him, we can do nothing. If Jesus is the Lion of Judah, then in the words of C.S. Lewis, he is not safe, but he is good. 
Therefore, we fear him and we trust his goodness. If Jesus is the almighty God, if he is Lord, then we confidently submit to his power and his control in our lives. And this morning, we come to Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, which were the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. And this title appears three times in the book of Revelation. Two of them, it, it pertains to God the Father, and then the last one, it pertains to Jesus Christ. The expression Alpha and the Omega carries the idea of completeness. As we would say in our language, that um, you know something from A to, to Z. It's kind of the same picture. And for Jesus to declare that he is, the, he is the beginning is to say that he is before all things. To say that he is the end means that he will be here at the end of all things. In the Dictionary of Biblical Prophecy and End Times, Jesus as the Alpha and Omega means this. And put on the screen, it says, He is both the origin and goal of history. Quite literally, the first and last word. He is the Lord of creation and the Lord of the new creation. He is victorious over every contender and no rival power can keep him from accomplishing his purpose and plan. Knowing that God is in control of history encourages Christians who are being threatened by worldly powers. While economic, religious, and military powers such as Rome may seem invincible from a human perspective, they are in reality under the ultimate control of the Alpha and the Omega who holds all of time and eternity in his hands. This is who we're talking about this morning. So let's dive in and behold the one who was, who is, who is to come, the Alpha and the Omega. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. You won't be up very long because we're reading one verse, Revelation 22, 13. In my Bible, which has the words of Jesus written in red, this verse is in red. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And Lord, this is who you are, not if we say so, not if we think so, not if we choose to believe it or not. This is who you are, period. You are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last. And as we're going to see this morning, you are everything in between. You are everything in between, God. So we pray that you would minister to us today by your word, through your spirit, because God, we are a needy people. Lord, we need you. We don't always know it. We don't always see it. Maybe we don't even always believe it, God, but our greatest need is you. So speak today, God. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. So in thinking about the names and the scriptures of Jesus, I think about just the book of Revelation alone, where Jesus is given a host of names and titles. Think about just a few of them. He is Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the rulers of all the rulers on the earth. He is the Alpha, the Omega. He is the Son of Man. He is the one who died and is alive 
forevermore. He is the Son of God. He is the Amen. He is the beginning of God's creation. He is the Lord. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lamb who was slain. He is the Root of David. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is faithful and true. He is the rider on the white horse. He is the Word of God. He is the bright and morning star. He is of whom there can be no exaggeration. You can't over-exaggerate his worth, his significance, his relevance, his power, his kindness, his, his command, his faithfulness, his beauty soars above human language. The, the most excellent language that we have couldn't do justice to his excellencies. His names are dear to us because he's dear to us. Because he is necessary to us. Each name that we could ever go through just shows a different angle of who he is. A different snapshot of who he is. All the things that he is to, to us. And just think about what we just read. Articles open and articles close. Books begin and books end. Nations rise and nations fall. Businesses start up and businesses fizzle out. People are born and they die. No one lives beyond those boundaries unless you are the Alpha and the Omega. And Jesus is the only one who can be named that. He is outside of all of those things, the Alpha, the Omega. And think about this. He is also the Alpha and Omega of God's revelation to us. He's the, he's the essence, excuse me, of the first book of Scripture, He's the essence of the last book of Scripture, and he is the essence of everything in between. Just imagine what would be left of this book if you took Jesus out of it. What would be left of the Gospels if you took Jesus out of it? We'd be left with these 12 misfits who just trip all over themselves all throughout Israel. Imagine the epistles without Jesus. You'd have a bunch of rules that we would be left to have to complete on our own, and we know that would never happen. Or imagine the book of Revelation without Jesus. It would be bleak, death, and destruction without any return of a king, without any eternal hope. All I'm trying to say this morning is this. Jesus is essential to everything we do and everything we believe. He is essential to it all. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. So I want to place before us this morning, I'll say quickly, I'll let you determine whether that's true or not, three truths related to Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega. Number one, as the Alpha, Jesus is the beginning. As the Alpha, he is the beginning. Just listen to verse 13 again. I am, Jesus speaking, the Alpha, the first, the beginning. We've likely heard Alpha in common language. A guy with a strong type A personality is referred to as an Alpha male. We classify the leader of a pack of dogs as the Alpha dog. And there's a sense by which we could say, yes, Jesus is the Alpha in that powerful sense. But also, in speaking of Jesus as the Alpha and Omega, we're speaking of one who spans time and eternity. The one who was before all things, who created all things, who upholds all things with the word of his power. 
You know, last week, and I pray every day we celebrate Christmas, but the glory of Christmas, as great as it is, hear this, the glory of Christmas is not the beginning of Jesus. The, the glory of Christmas is not the beginning of Christmas. Long before that first Christmas, his story had begun, not just through various prophecies, not just the, the um, different things that were given in the Old Testament, but no, his divine person. You know, Christmas might be the opening of a climatic chapter, but it's not the beginning of the book, and it's not the beginning of Jesus. And we must understand that Jesus existed before the incarnation, before he came as a man, he existed. He existed before he was made man, before he was born in Bethlehem. He made a claim so stunning that we are told that those who heard it picked up rocks and wanted to throw at him, wanted to kill him. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And they understood he was claiming to be God and they picked up stones wanting to kill him. Jesus also existed before creation. For him to be first means that no one or nothing existed before him. It's difficult to imagine the New Testament being any clearer on this. As we studied on week one of this, this picture of Jesus as the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The word could not be any clearer. To put it this way. Human flesh did not become the word. The word became human flesh. Just so we understand that reality. He existed before creation. And the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who created us means that, among other things, we cannot truly know ourselves unless we know him. He created us. He knows us. And if we are going to know ourselves, we must know him. So in whatever circumstance you find yourself in Today, we need to always look not to ourselves first, but to him first. Look to him first, who placed us, whatever situation you're in, let me just tell you this, he placed you there. And he placed you there for his glory, and he placed you there for his good. Now, you might be thinking right now, well, what I've gone through isn't good. No, we don't get to determine what good is. We don't get to define what good is. He gets to determine what good is. He gets to define the good in your life and my life. And the fact that Jesus preexisted shows us that he is God. Before the foundation of the world, he was God. He was first and last, beginning and the end, God alone. One theologian said this, there is no formal distinction or difference between deity and and pre-existence, meaning if he's God, he pre-exists, and if he pre-exists, then he is God. As the Alpha, Jesus is the beginning, but then number two, as the Omega, Jesus is the end. He is the end. We see it again in verse 13, I am the Omega, the last, the end. But just as Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet, Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. So what does it mean for Jesus to say, I am the last? It means, among other things, that Jesus is also in charge of history, and he is before whom all of us will have to stand one day and give an account of our lives. But it also means this, he is the end of death, 
He is the end of hopelessness. He is the end of self-righteousness. And he is the end of all our striving. That's why Jesus was able to say, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. Come to me, all who are trying to work to get a salvation that you can never earn, and you will find rest in me. That's what Jesus says to us. And practically speaking, and I, I, want, I pray that you would just press it in this moment. Practically speaking, there are only just two ways in which we can approach God. I want you to think about this today. Which way have you approached him? Two ways in which we approach Jesus. You can approach Jesus and see Jesus as a means to an end. Meaning, he can help you in life. He can improve your broken marriage. He can inject some much-needed morality into your life. He can provide a new, sense of, or a new set of friends for you. He can give you new hope. He can make you feel better. He might even be able to help your bank account. Perhaps he can give you a purpose statement by which you can say, I am having my best life right now. Yet those people who see Jesus only as a means to an end, they never see his glory. They never see his greatness. They never see his beauty. They are blind to it. So in this case, we have Jesus who is just a salvation fairy. So he's a salvation fairy that comes to bring self-fulfillment to any who want self-fulfillment from him. So he is a means to bring about a seriously selfish and, dare I say, idolatrous end to our lives. In other words, in other words, and maybe I pray none exist here, but in other words, there are some people who believe that the person who matters the most in this life is themselves. Even more than God himself, they believe that they are the end-all, be-all of it all. And therefore, they can use Jesus just like they use everybody else to accomplish their purposes, their wishes, their wants. The other way in which we approach God, the biblical or biblically faithful way, is to come to Jesus, not seeing Jesus as a means to an end, but see him as the end itself. He is the end himself. In other words, think about this. Jesus is not a, a vehicle to anything other than the enjoyment of knowing him, seeing him, valuing him, understanding this amazing picture of being known by him, worshiping him, and being able to do all of those things forever. Listen, you don't come to Jesus as a connecting, a connecting flight to your own exaltation. You don't come to Jesus saying, Jesus, I'm going to take you into my life for you to make my life better or you to make my life everything I want it to be. In fact, you don't come to Jesus saying, Jesus, you're Lord, but I'm over you. It doesn't work that way at all. We come to Jesus as the only source of eternal salvation and we come to Jesus as our greatest good. He is our greatest good. It is good. And it's healthy for us to ask ourselves how we see Jesus. Is Jesus a means to an end? Or is he the end himself? For in reality, the difference is substantial. It's the difference between life and death. What have we done with Jesus? What are we doing with him? For at the end, when the curtain falls on history, Jesus will be there as the Alpha, the Omega, the end of all things. 
And, and Jesus truly is the first and the last. And when we come to him for who he is, and when we come to him as he says he must be, we experience life. We experience hope. We experience help. And we are able to walk through every difficulty that life brings to us. Think about those words. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Those words are an anchor that we hold to in the midst of every storm that we face in this life. And let me go a step further. I am the Alpha and Omega is also a warning to any of us in this room that would let go of him during the storm. Let me say this again. I want you to hear this today. Storms won't last. He will. Storms won't last. He will. Therefore, if we let go of him in the midst of the storm, we're letting go of that which is forever. We're letting go of that which is our firm foundation, that which is all of those names to us and so much more. As the Omega, he is the end. And then number three, and this is when it gets really, really good. Jesus is everything in between. He's everything in between. He's the beginning, he's the end, and he is everything in between. Embedded in that picture of the first and the last, the first letter in the alphabet, the last letter in the alphabet, is everything we need to make words. Whether you're talking about the Greek alphabet or you're talking about the English alphabet, those letters, arranged and rearranged, make complete words, words that fill dictionaries. Just as the alphabet is arranged in a way to complete words in a dictionary, Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega can completely meet every need of every situation that we will face in this life. Meaning, we talked a few weeks ago that oftentimes our faith is like a mattress. You know how a mattress oftentimes it has that saggy middle? That's how our faith can be. It begins to sag in the middle. Like we say, I believe there's a time I was saved. Oh, I believe I'm going to heaven. Well, how are you trusting God now? Well, I'm really not. I mean, we, yeah, I come to church and all I believe, I believe, but how does your life look any different? And really, it's a saggy mattress. Listen, we have to understand and we have to believe that God is with us in the middle. He is with us in the middle of whatever we are facing. He is in the middle of whatever difficulties. He's in the middle of whatever sadnesses. He's in the middle of all the chaos that might be happening in our lives. He is in the middle of it all, and he is working it for our good. Listen, the one who promised Philippians 1.6 to us has to be in the middle. One of my favorite verses in Scripture, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. The only way he can complete his work in us is if he is with us in the middle. And he is, praise be to God, he is with us in the middle of it all. Listen, there is no irreverence intended for what I'm about to say. So please don't hear anything other than what I'm trying to get at. But Jesus Christ is the ideal middleman. He's the ideal middleman, meaning scripture shows him time and time again as the one who must be in the middle. According to 1 Timothy 2, 5 on the screen, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 
There is only one person who can stand in the middle of God and man and make a way for man to get to God, and that is Jesus Christ. He must be in the middle. But think about this. In Matthew 27, 38, it says, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. There were three crosses. There were three men crucified. But the one in the middle got all the attention. The one in the middle was the one upon whom all eyes were fixed. The one in the middle was the one who God said, give him your attention. It was no accident that Jesus was on the middle cross because the cross is at the center of all of God's work for us. It just makes sense. We can't avoid the cross. And then you think about John 20, verse 19. It tells us this. On the evening of that day, the day that Jesus resurrected from the dead, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood, some versions say among them, some versions say in the midst of them, some versions say in the middle of them. He stood in the middle of them and he said this, Peace be with you. When Jesus is in the middle of your life, there will be peace. Undeniable, unexplainable peace. Peace that you can't explain. Peace that you, you know it's not yours. The only explanation, it, it is given to me from God in the midst of this moment. And then in Revelation 1, 12 and 13, you'll see on the screen, listen to what John saw. John writes, I saw seven golden lampstands that represented the seven churches that he was writing to in Asia Minor. Then he says this, and in the midst or in the middle of those lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man. Don't miss it. John saw a picture of seven churches in the middle of all of those churches, he saw Jesus walking in the middle. Jesus was in the middle. He was in the midst of his church, even at a time when persecution was ramped up beyond what we could ever imagine. Just think about this. One of the, the wonderful truths of Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega is not just that he begins all things or that he ends all things, but that he carries his people through all things. Let me say that again for apparently for the hearing impaired part of our audience today. Not only is Jesus the beginning of all things, not only is he at the end of all things, he carries his people, that only applies to his people, through all things. He carries us through every difficulty, through everything that we go through. Think about how God works. The great Alpha created a world that sin destroyed in the generations from Adam to Noah. Where we get to Noah and people's mind was on sin only and always. As a result, the great Omega ended that era with a flood. Yet he safely preserved Noah and his family through to the end. Similarly, the great Alpha created the nation of Israel, which sin destroyed in the era of the kings, the great Omega, ended their era with exile. Yet, he safely preserved a remnant until the end. 
Genesis tells us that the great Alpha created a perfect garden which sin destroyed. Adam and Eve being cast out of that garden. Yet the great Omega ends this falling world by restoring garden fellowship back to us where we will be with God forever. Unbroken fellowship with him forever. Listen, today the world still goes through its seasons. But God has the power to carry his people from one era to the the next. And what God does for his people in general, he does for us individually. As we make him the center of our lives. Let, Let me end our time this way. Imagine over two million Jewish slaves wandering in the wilderness. Just imagine that. For over 400 years, these Jewish slaves were enslaved in Egypt, providing hard labor to support and give a luxurious lifestyle to all Egyptians. God hears their cries. He hears their their prayers. And God brings them out of slavery through the direction and leadership of Moses. And next, here they are. They're wondering. They're waiting on the Lord to bring them into the land that they were promised by him. But as they are going throughout the wilderness, when they settle in an area, God gave them specific instructions on how they are to make their camp. There were some people on the north, some people in the south, some people on the east, some people in the west, but in the middle of the camp was always to be the tabernacle, showing that God was to be at the center of everything they did. That is the way God wanted it then, and that's the way God wants it now. God wants us to put him at the center of every part of our lives. We were designed for the purpose of knowing Jesus, and we were designed with the purpose of making him the center of our lives. And you might be asking, what does it mean? What does it mean to make Jesus the center of my life? It means that you acknowledge him as the ultimate authority over your life and you voluntarily yield your life to him. Meaning you take out the white flag and you wave it to him. You surrender to him. Give him control. Let that sink in for a second. For Jesus to be at the center of your life It means that he is in control of you. He is in control of me. You no longer desire to independently run your life. But instead, you submit your life to him. Listen, here's what I know about us. Allow me to confess our sins this morning. Our wayward self always wants to control our own lives. That's our wayward self. Now, you might be sitting this morning saying, you're talking to somebody else but me. No, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. Our wayward self wants to control our own lives, but following Jesus means that we give him control. I would guess to say that if we were to be honest this morning, and again, church is a very good place to be honest, we would all have to admit that most of the regrets and failures of 2023 came as a result of us trying to control our own lives, trying to control our own circumstances, trying to control other people, or trying to control God himself. 
And maybe you're thinking um, to yourself, I, I, that, that's not me. How often, how often do we get mad at God for not giving us what he never promised to give us in the first place? How often do we get mad at God for not doing for us what he never promised to do? I know people that are mad at God because God would let a loved one die. I have bad news for you. All of your loved ones are going to die. I mean, that's the bad, unfortunate reality of our lives. And we, we get mad at God for allowing something God never promised he wouldn't allow. And we begin to get upset because we won't control. We, and listen, if you are mad at God for not doing what you want or wanted him to do, then you're mad that God wouldn't let you be God. That's what you are. You're mad that God wouldn't let you be God. But here's what I know. Listen, we aren't the Alpha and the Omega. And we won't be standing in the end unless we are standing in him. The only way you and I will be standing at the end is if we are standing in him. So as we close this message today, and as we prepare to close this year, I want us to prayerfully consider a few things. In fact, in all of your bulletins, I put a little questionnaire, 10 questions. We're also going to put them on the screen in case you're wondering. And we'll have more of those questionnaires. I, I want us to take time, maybe not this morning. I won't be able to give you all the time to complete this, but begin to think about, think through these things in the time that we have this morning. And then go back and answer these questions. These quest, 10 questions, they come from um, Donald Whitney. 10 questions for beginning a new year. Question number one, what's one thing you could do this upcoming year to increase your enjoyment of God? What's one thing you could do this upcoming year to really increase your enjoyment of God? Maybe you don't see God that way. Oh, brothers and sisters, God can be enjoyed. We can enjoy him. We enjoy him through the word. Let me encourage you today. And I know we have a daily Bible reading plan. And I, I, I swear by it. I grow in it. But I, I want to just tell you something. I would rather you read one verse a day and remember that verse than read 20 verses a day and remember nothing. I mean, I'd rather you read one verse and remember that one verse and let that verse be your verse for the day than to read 20 verses and not be able to say one thing about what you read. So what's one thing you can do this upcoming year? Some of you just said, read one verse. I'll, I'll take it. Number two, what's the most humanly impossible thing you will ask God to do in and through your life in 2024? Our God is the God of the impossible. Nothing is impossible with him. What will you ask God to do this coming up year that can only be explained by God? Let me just tell you, God loves answering those kind of requests. God loves answering the request. As God, this will only make sense if you come through because there's no other way to, to say it than God, you came through. And God loves coming through for his people. Number three, what's the single most important thing you can do to improve the quality of your family's life? Think about family. Think about family time. What's the single most important thing you can do? I, I believe this with all my heart. When we get to eternity, what's, what's not going to matter is how many trips we took and how many awesome things we did with our family. What's going to matter is, did our family know him? Did our family know him? That's what's going to matter. Did they know him? 
Number four, in which spiritual discipline do you want to grow the most? And what will you do about it? So whether it be Bible reading, whether it be prayer, whether it be sharing our faith, fasting, praying, working, or worshiping, excuse me, serving the Lord. What spiritual discipline do you want to grow the most? Number five. Are y'all ready for this one? What is the single biggest time waster in your life and what will you do about it? Some of you are holding to your phones right now very, very tight. And I feel it. Let me say this. The only way that you can, and, and this is what I believe with all my heart, the only way you can really do away with time wasters is to replace it with something worthwhile. Replace that, what you spend wasting time on, replace it with something worthwhile, something eternally beneficial. Number six, what is the most helpful new way you could strengthen your church in 2024, your life group in 2024? What, what's something you can do to benefit your church? It's almost like what I'm asking is this. I'm asking you to think not what can the church do for you, but what you can do to be a blessing to your church. Number seven, for whose salvation will you pray most fervently for this year? I'm going to stand here this morning and I want to say this. Because Satan, Satan has lulled us to, to sleep. Where you and I have people in our family that we believe they're okay because they're good people and God would never send them to hell. Brothers and sisters, if they don't know the Lord, if the Lord is not their end, then they will not be with him forever. And if we don't do anything, if we don't do anything to point them to Jesus, and yet somehow we think at the end we're going to stand before God and point the finger at him, no, Jesus did everything for your loved one, your friend, your co-worker to be with him. For us to not pray for them, not tell them, not speak up, is to show that we really don't believe there's a thing called heaven and hell. And if we don't believe that, then we are going against this. Whose salvation will you pray for? And not just pray for, will you be prepared to speak to? Number eight, what is the most important way that you, by God's grace, will try to make this upcoming year differently than last year? There's so many ways we could answer that. So many things we can look back and see so many ways in which we failed throughout this, this past year. Number nine, what one thing could you do to improve your prayer life this year? I mean, I think a question for us today in the 21st century church is this. Do you even have one? Do you even have a prayer life? I'm not talking about when you sit down and say, God is great, God is good, thank you, and go on about it. Do you even have a prayer life? One thing you could do to improve that would be to begin to have a prayer life. Begin to have a prayer life. Begin to understand what it means for us to pray without ceasing, to call out to God in the midst of our everyday lives. And number 10, what goals for this new year will matter in 10 years or will matter in eternity? You know, by our, our world in which we live, our New Year's resolutions are coming, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But as Christians, let me say this, as Christians, 
We don't live by New Year's resolutions. We live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, even when it's March 3rd, we do it. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of something on June 8th, we obey. We don't say, no, I'm going to wait until January 1st to get this one right. No, we live by the prompting and the power and the, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But what goals in our lives, what things, I mean, goals matter and goals are beneficial. What goals will matter in eternity? May, may this year, this, this new year, draw us into abundant richness with Jesus Christ. More than we ever thought possible. That we would know he is the Alpha, he is the Omega, he is everything in between. I want to end this morning with the words of the Apostle Paul and put Ephesians 3, 17 through 21. And here's what I pray. I pray what Paul prayed. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church. Let me say it again, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. We're going to call the praise team forward, but here's the question for us. How are we trusting the Alpha and the Omega in the midst of our middle? in the middle of our lives, in the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of difficulties, in the middle of family life, in the middle of so many things that are coming at us. How are we trusting the one who is the beginning, the one who is the end, the one who is everything in between? Let's, let's pray together. Father, we come before you and God, sometimes your word is so encouraging and sometimes, God, your word is so hard because it cuts. It's a two-edged sword. It cuts. Sometimes it cuts us in ways that we don't like. And yet, as a knife, as your word is a knife, God, we think about it. If someone were to pull a knife on us, it, we wouldn't like it unless... It was a doctor who was pulling a knife on us in order to cut out cancer within us. And that is how your word works in our lives. When it hits in ways, God, that chafes us or hits us in ways that we don't like, God, it's for our good. So I pray right now, God, as your people, that we would think about all the things going on in our lives, all the middle areas of our lives. The struggles, the pain, the difficulty, the loss, the hurt, the emptiness, the failures, all the things, God, that hit us in the middle. And may 
right now in this moment, we be reminded, God, that we are never alone. You're never alone in the middle. Whatever that middle is, God, you have not abandoned us. You haven't brought us this far, God, to let us go now. But help us to trust you as the Alpha, the Omega, everything in between. Lord, I pray for any in this place of worship or any watching online that they don't have a relationship with you, Jesus. Maybe they have always seen you as just a means to an end, a way for them to accomplish some selfish thing in their life or some selfish hope or dream. Yet they've never bowed the knee to you as Lord. They've never made you the center of their lives. May today be a day that you are acknowledged not just as Savior but as Lord. May today be a day, God, where you become the center. Finish this time, God. Finish it. In Jesus' name, amen.